Super Talk Mississippi media production. Did you know Toyota Brookhaven has sold more new vehicles the last two years than any other dealership in southwest Mississippi? Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi Minute. My guest today on In a Mississippi Minute is a really, really good pal of mine. We shared the stage so many times and have laughed uh, to the point of no return. We've written songs together, played golf together. I consider him part of my family. Please welcome award-winning singer-songwriter, producer, and recording artist, the multi-talented Ira Dean while he's eating bacon. Hello, Ira. <laughs> Steve, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm good. How's the bacon? The bacon is good. I don't. Did you fry your bacon? You microwave it? How do you do it? I fry my bacon in a big iron skillet. See, that's working. That's working for it. Yeah. I like, just frozen the bacon before it's time. <laughs> <laughs> so, for people that... Uh, that uh, uh, aren't familiar with Ira because you have seen him, I promise you, uh, standing on top of a bass, standing on top of a building with a bass. He big, plays these big bass guitars, but he's actually an incredible musician, plays everything. Uh, found his early success uh, with the band Trick Pony. He was the, uh, the life of the party and also such a talented songwriter uh, and entertainer. Uh, but I want to dig back in your past because I I know so many great stories about you, Ira, that a lot of people don't know, and, and and your struggles along the way, and and your influences and the people, the historic people that came into your life because they believed in you. So, let's go back to your early days growing up. Where'd you Where'd you grow up, and uh, and were you always doing the music thing, or were you doing sports? What were you doing as a kid? Oh God, um, well I was born in Raleigh, North Carolina. And then uh, my doc, dad got a job transfer to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, moved up to Minneapolis and went to school up in Minneapolis in high school and, and um, junior high. And um, I played football and pond hockey and all that stuff and uh, went to school with all the cousins that played in Prince's band and all that stuff. And um, then uh, graduated early, went on the road as a musician. I, I, I won a talent contest at a bar. My dad called me when I was 12 years old. My mom and dad were divorced and talked my mom into taking me to his bar for a talent contest. And I won it at 12 and I ended up getting the um, house gig. Wow. And so my mom said I could play the house gig as long as my grades didn't quit. So I would play the gig and do my homework on the on the breaks. My mom would walk in and sit in the front row. I played music uh, six nights a week. So you're 14 playing music six nights a week. Yeah, like 12 years old. 
I did that all through high school, and I graduated a year early. My brother was going to go on the road, and he wanted me to go play drums for him. Like I still got another year of high school, so I went and met my guidance counselor, and he said if I could pass this one course in two weeks, I could graduate early. So I graduated as a junior. Wow. I went on the road with my brother playing drums all over, like Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Nebraska, Wisconsin, all that stuff. And then uh ended up moving back to North Carolina, where I call home, even though I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I moved back there and uh, played beach bands and stayed there until I finally moved to Nashville in 1990. Right. about we, You got there, I think, like a, month, a few months ahead of me. Yeah. I had to make sure the water was good to drink. I know. I know you were taking care of me, making sure. I know. I appreciate you doing that. You welcomed me with open arms. I love it. I saw you at the (laughs) city limits uh, uh, at the uh, thing, a big sign saying, Steve, welcome. I will be your friend, Irene. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) been here ever since. I can't can't leave. Yeah. No, no, no. You're stuck. So so for people to get a vision of, of your home life now, you've got a farm. Uh, you got your big studio at your house. Uh, give everybody an idea. Now, you used to have a mule, and we'll talk about your your past uh, love affair for your your pet. But so t- take people on your property real quick. Uh, I got seventy acres out here, uh, northwest of Nashville, about thirty five miles, and I got uh, two houses on it and a recording studio. And I never leave. Right now it's turkey season, and I was out all morning yesterday, and it was a little chilly for me this morning, so I didn't go out. But I'm gonna go out this afternoon. I'm gonna have somebody come over and write today. Show us that shot's going over. Mississippi girl. I love it. I'm gonna write it right at eleven, and now I'm gonna go back into into the wines uh, and see if I can get a turkey. You know, uh, we, we used to turkey hunt when we were growing up. I didn't do it a lot because I, I had no patience. I mean, like, I was going, where are the turkeys? Now, and then when we lived in Franklin, we, every day I'd watch these 12 turkeys walk by, you know, during parts of the year, particular parts, and they'd walk in single file. What's the deal there? I have no idea. They're very militant. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they went to military school, and yeah. uh, they just <laughs> Okay, so you got your property. All right, tell everybody about you used to have a pet mule, uh, a pet mule, uh, Ernie, right? Name Ernie. Yeah. Let's tell everybody what, some of the uh, back in your uh, more troubled days. I think everybody yeah. will get a kick out of this. Now that now that so so Ira, uh, you know, ha, ha, you know, he was a wild child at some point, but he's got control of his life. But go ahead and t- tell some stories there. Uh, well, I, everybody, it's no no secret. I was a party animal, and uh, and I got to you know. Between Nashville and LA and hanging out with Kid Rock and Bobby Brown, I kind of, the, the bad influences ran off, uh, <laughs> you know, rubbed off on me, and I took party into the next level. And um, I ended up getting this miniature mule named Ernie, who was an alcoholic too. And he had to drink a six pack of beer a night, otherwise he'd just, he'd just scream all night, just, ah, eh, ah, eh, all night, and keep me awake. <laughs> so I go to the back porch and I get a six pack of bottles and I take the tops off. And he'd take them out of the little six pack carrier and just slam them. He'd drink them and throw them and then drink another one. And somehow along the way, um, I ended up from the hockey days, I still had my rollerblades. I put my rollerblades on and tie a rope around his neck, and he'd pull me around the street out here in Tennessee. And so my neighbors thought I was completely nuts. And I was just like, that's how I took him for walks. He just pulled me around <laughs> on my rollerblades. The animal the animal activists right now <laughs> are going to come out of the woodwork for sure. I know. And I was, yeah, drunk Ernie and drunk me would go cruising down the street. And neighbors would go, that's Ira. There's Ira. And, uh, yeah. yeah. What, so, so how long have you been now. without, you know, you've, you haven't drank in a long time. So, which is. Like 10 years. Uh, it wasn't working, right? 
Well, yeah. It felt like a drinker that played music instead of a musician that drank. It was kind of right. taking over my life. And so I kind of had to flip-flop that, and I tried it the other way, and, it, you know, I just couldn't balance it. So I just decided to make the drinking so I could concentrate on the music. Yeah, and yeah, it well. it work for me. Yeah, well, and it I works. I told myself I'm going to do it for a year. I'll do it for a year and see how it goes. And then a year turned into two, and two turned into five, five turned into ten. It's like the baseball player that won't wash his uniform because it's, it's unlucky, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I feel like. I don't want to drink because I don't want to ruin the streak I'm on. No, and you are on a streak. We're talking to Ira Dean, uh, multiple award-winning country, beyond country. So so this is what I love about Ira. He's, he sort of can hang and fit in musically with Kid Rocker. And who Kid, Kid walks the fine line between rock and country and all that as well. But And, and, and Southern rock and all that. I get that. But Ira, Ira literally can play... Uh, with Mose Allison or with, uh, I mean, he's, he reminds me of a kid that grew up in Mississippi that just sort of was the guy that everybody went to. I mean, he's one of the most talented guys uh, that, and I'm talking about you in third person, I think now, am I? Am I the third person? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even yeah. know, like you're not uh, I, there. I, you're there. I like it though. I mean, I know. you can keep going. I trying, to, money, I trying to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, I was always apprehensive about writing with Ira Dean. Uh, it was after the Trick Pony uh, hits <laughs> and your awards and all that and you guys are going through struggles and we're going to talk about that in a little bit because i want to dig into some of that uh but i remember going i'm not going to ever write with ira because every time i'm with him i'm laughing i cannot help but laugh because you <laughs> you are the life of the party but you've always you got this great wit and and you're so many great stories that are real that are so funny um uh, and so I just feel like I, could, I just felt like I couldn't do it. And the minute we wrote together, we wrote so fast together. It was so money. And uh, to take people back to how wild it was, we write this song called "Crowded," which is on my Indianola record. And and it's you and Jason, uh, my sidekick Jason Young, and and the, the three of us upstairs in my studio. We only had one microphone, I had one pair of headphones. You're playing. I think are you beating you playing the snare and Jason's playing the beating his fist on the roadcase? I played the I played kick drum and, and tambo or something, I can't remember. And then Jason was playing snare no Jason was playing tambourine and, and snare drum. I'm playing kick drum and something else. Yeah, but you had one set of microphones and you're having to watch each other because Yeah. Like so one drummer with you know, beating on a road case were for the kick drum and then right and so it became the grooviest thing and like the funny thing is in our world we can go edit and make things kind of tighten up we didn't touch that and it was like how the heck were you two guys it was like you were a couple monkeys you know just playing <laughs> and that song ended up being the coolest thing and just but you and i've written ever, since then we're talking to ira dean he is in uh outside of nashville tennessee on his 70 acres minus his pet mule ernie did ernie pass no, Ernie, I, you know, I was on the road so much, and my dad passed away that nobody could take care of Ernie, so the neighbor around the corner has Ernie now, and he's got a couple quarter horses, so Ernie isn't alone anymore, and so Ernie's over there probably drinking beer with quarter horses. Ernie ain't alone anymore. I want to come back and talk about your time with Johnny Cash and, uh, and his son, and we're with Ira Dean. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. From the Gallo Archives, 
the chairman of the FCC, Ajit Pai. One of the reasons he's here is to talk about the need for more coverage in rural areas of uh, internet service. Internet infrastructure can really help close the digital divide. Where are we now as far as net neutrality? These rules uh, have to be approved by a White House office known as the Office of... Hello? Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, see, this is part of the reason why yes. we need to build more infrastructure. <laughs> From the Gallo Archives. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. You are in a Mississippi Minute. I'm with my brother, Ira Dean. Uh, Don't let the names fool you. Azar Dean is actually the same as four letters, and they actually mix them up somehow and throw them in a blender. They end up being the same thing. I don't even know what that meant. But anyway, Ira, uh, Ira is. I want you to take me back to your time. This is before Trick Pony. I, the story of you and Johnny Cash, and you were writing with his son, John Carter, right? And yeah, yeah. So tell everybody. So this is how close it came without us ever, uh, you and me really ever getting to know each other in the world, getting to know how great of a musician and songwriter you are. Yeah, man. Um, so I, I moved to town in 1990, and I found this little bar I could play because I was underage. I could play this one club in Hendersonville, Tennessee, for 30 bucks a night and all the beer I could drink, which I thought was cool. And uh, But... <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I was renting a couch for 200 bucks a month, and uh, I just couldn't make ends meet after eating and stuff like that. <laughs> Food got in the way. And um, so yeah. I was getting ready to move back home to, to North Carolina and become a maintenance man again. At the Elizabethan Hotel, I was a maintenance man. And uh, this red-headed guy about my age came in, and uh, he liked what I was doing. And, uh, of course, I didn't know John Carter or the cash family at all back then. He asked me my story, and I was like, man, I'm getting ready to move back home, and I can't make rent and blah, blah, blah. I've been in town maybe a year. And he said, uh, man, you can live with me for free. I live on the lake and, and uh, all this, you know, I got, you have your own bedroom and you got a boat and all this stuff. And uh, I was like, and he, he said, you won't, I won't charge your rent. It'll be for free. You know, I really believe it. And I said, okay, I'll try it, man. You know, if you're offering, I'll take it. And he goes, okay, let me go ask my parents. He still lives with his parents. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and so he went, he went home and, um, his parents happened to be Johnny Cash and Gene Carter, and I didn't know that was John Carter. And so Johnny and June and Waylon walked through the door at this wow. bar, and they sit down and watch me play. And, um, you know, I guess they just want to see who the heck they're, he was bringing home to live there. Right. And uh, lo and behold, they, they, you know, I woke up to Johnny, and I moved into the round bedroom from the couch to the round bedroom, and, and uh, woke up to Johnny Cash making the eggs every morning, and PJ and drunk in Idaho, and... And uh, it was just a great time, man. I look back on that being 20 years old. You know, I, I drove around in a Chevette with no floorboard before that. And then next thing you know, I'm, I'm you know, borrowing Johnny's Mercedes or we're riding around in an old 71 Cadillac rag top of the top down. And it was like the year of probably the best year of my life that first year. And uh, just uh, opening shows for Johnny and, and recording with Johnny, going in the studio and singing with the Carter family and writing with John Carter and some things never change. Here it is. God, what, almost 30 years later, and, and uh, I'm still working with John Carter. Uh, we, took, we didn't talk for like 10 years because Trick Pony, you know, I was on the road so much. And, uh, and now, you know, we're back in the studio. Uh, we, we just, uh, I got to play on all that uh, forever words. That, you know, Johnny passed away, and they found 150 poems that Johnny had written and never been recorded or in right. form. So John Carter and um, uh, Steve Berkowitz, who did the Johnny Cash um, God, Love, and Murder uh, box set. He also did um, the Bob Dylan basement tapes. Um, he 
also he's won a Grammy for the Robert Johnson body. Order. Yeah, yeah, I know his work. Um, he's amazing. Right. Um, so they produced, they got all these artists to turn these poems into song form, you know, like Chris Cornell before Chris died, um, Allison Krauss and Union Station, Willie Nelson, Brad Paisley, Jimmy Johnson, um, I mean, just tons of people uh, turn these things into songs and sing them. And so I played on all that, um, which inspired uh, volume, you know, that comes out this month, I believe, uh, Forever Words. I played on the Jimmy Johnson stuff and some of the other stuff. Um, and then John Carter said the Sony, uh, Columbia, Sony slash Columbia Records is wanting a volume two. Would I be interested in doing a song? And I said, sure. So I turned one of the songs, and uh, one of the poems in the song, and then I said, Alice and Kraft come in and harmonies. And then that led to, hey, will you co-produce volume two with me? And so I got to co-produce uh, Aaron Lewis from Spain, uh, John Popper and Blue Traveler did one. Um, I mean, and the list goes on. And when's so that? So the, that's the one you've been wearing. That's the one you played with you and Allison Krauss singing together. Yeah, yeah. That comes out six months. Really Volume good. Volume 1 comes out this month, uh, which is great. Volume 1 comes out this month. And then six months from now, the Volume 2 will come out. And then I think they're going to put out a box set with possibly a Volume 3. Wow. So, I'm, so cool. I'll be involved in that, hopefully, too. Well, so nobody know besides his own son. I mean, you felt like it, you were, you became family with Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash and, and June. Oh, and, so the influence uh, when you started to have your first success, your big taste of success. I mean, for a guy like Johnny, I mean, I had other people like the big songwriters and publishers and and people that were like just so excited for me. Was Johnny like just like yes? Yeah, um, Johnny told me way back when, you know, he was going to do a duet with me or work on a record with me when I got my record deal. And it almost happened when I was like 22, I got a solo deal at Bell Millbeal. And we almost did it then, but, you know, how this town works, it, it, um, it fizzled out. My sizzle fizzled out too early. And so we never, I never got to do that record. And then when, um, when Trick Corny finally signed, it was for sure, and everything's going to happen. I told Johnny, and Johnny was in the hospital at the time in Vanderbilt. So Johnny Cash comes straight in from Vanderbilt, and uh, we cut Big River, and Waylon came in, and Waylon sang some on it. And we little did we know it was going to be the last recordings of Waylon. He passed away shortly after that from diabetes. And then Johnny, um, he stuck around a while, then we lost June. And then Johnny passed in uh, 03, which was about a year, maybe two years after we recorded that. Go to Jamaica and hang out, you know, I hung out with Johnny every year, uh, every Christmas. He had a house in Jamaica, and I would go out there. So at least I got to spend two or three more Christmases with him before we lost him. Wow, that's amazing. What a story. And now, obviously, nobody deserves to make this record that you're making, uh, this tribute of his poems, uh, you know, better than you. I mean, I just, I just, isn't it funny how life has its own plan, and you look back and you're going, like, how'd that happen? You know? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's really great. We um, they ended up doing this big um, three hour tribute to Johnny at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I was asked to be one of the artists and then back up everybody uh, on base. And me and John Carter's son sat backstage, and you know we kept in contact and we worked together a little bit. And, and but like I said, we took a little ten year hiatus away from each other, and I, I probably took about five years ago. And we were backstage, and it was me and John Carter, and then Wesley Orbison, Roy Orbison's son, and us three were like the hillbilly rat pack right. back in the day when we were kids. So we were back there just going, isn't it crazy? Here we are grown men now backstage 
And somehow the old man kept us still together. And we were just like going through old stories, going, it's like life has just totally went 360. And here we are all back together. And we picked up right where we left off and we were laughing. And all of a sudden we're all best friends again. So I love it. Crazy. I love it. We're talking to Ira Dean, uh, incredible uh, award-winning singer, songwriter, recording artist, producer. Uh, Musician-wise, it's like nothing you've ever seen. Just really, really amazing. And uh, we spent a lot of time during the year uh, on the road together or either, well, doing a lot of charity events that we do together. Uh, we have our uh, golf bags at times next to each other. and But just love love being around this guy. Um, Ira, uh, yeah. let's talk about... Uh, a little bit and we're not gonna be able to go so deep into it but let's let's get to the trick pony uh you and keith and heidi how'd you meet uh me and keith met i was playing bass for tanya tucker and keith was playing bass for joe dippy and he had and this was long before there was a trio out there this is before dippy chicks or the big trio for rascal flats and all that um we played a show together in Wheeling, West Virginia, Jimberian Hills, and it's like this big, all these acts get together, and uh, Keith came to me and said, I got this idea for like a country Fleetwood Mac, it'd be like me and you and like a girl, and you being the rock guy that you are, and Keith, you know, with the cowboy, had the cowboy hat stuff, and then right. he wanted a girl in the band, and I laughed, and I thought it sounded like the village people, I was like, I'm oh, <laughs> an Indian and a cop, and we're, we're, I turned them down, and then like four months later, I got fired from Tanya Tucker, and I called them up, and I said, you still want to do that band? And he said, yeah. And I said, man, let's let's work on it. We started writing songs together a little bit. And then um, he found Heidi. Heidi was actually me, his wife, and was balleting cars downtown. And she came in and auditioned, and she sounded great. She played harmonica, which was unique. Yeah, she and can really play it. Wrote was, she has her own box. Yeah, she, she has her own play. harmonica box. We wrote, we wrote Poor Me, first time all three of us wrote together. Next thing you know, we were signed to Warner Brothers. And so that was y'all's first Angus song to write song. together was Poor Me? Yeah, first, first song we ever wrote together was Poor Me. Wow, that's not a bad start, is it? No, that's not. You really just couldn't live up to the hype. <laughs> no, yeah, you did. You you guys had followed it up really nice, but you dealt you deal with the business and, and things that get in the way, and you you know you know the game. I mean, it's just... Uh, uh, if, if if you just let it, if you just get to run at that point and leave it to the fans and the music you're making, then it never it just never slows down. It becomes a, a fast moving train. But for some reason, a lot of times big labels seem to get in the way. We're talking to Ira Dean, Mississippi being the birthplace of American music. You get to play uh, DJ, uh, somebody I recently interviewed uh, from Tupelo, Mississippi. Actually, uh, was a boxer. Uh, a really great, great boxer, but turned musician. Spends a lot of time on the road. People like John Prine. His name's Paul Thorne. So you can listen to Paul Thorne or Robert Johnson. Who's it going to be? Paul Thorne and Robert Johnson. It's two, it's two different things. I well, mean, yeah, I know. I'm not going to make it easy. I mean, I love Paul. Paul Thorne's probably one of the most clever writers on the planet. I love, although he had a lot of success with Charlie Brown, but I still love it. It's a great day to kick, uh, good day to kick a man's ass. I still love that song, but. I'm a Robert Johnson guy. I'm sorry. All right. You know I'm a Robert Johnson guy. I know I you are. From your golf tournament, uh, I did a gig out there, and I and I made sure we stopped by Robert Johnson's grave on the way back. I know. And I, I know. called you from there. I'm a Robert Johnson guy. And, uh, <laughs> all right, that's but it. I love, I love Paul Thorne. I know, I know. He's a good dude, man. We had a great conversation. Uh, probably you guys will be back-to-back. We're going to listen to a little... Sorry, Paul, we love you. But uh, we're going to listen to a little back-to-back. We're going to listen to a, a little Robert Johnson. Uh, I'm Steve Azar. We'll be right back. Early this morning When you knocked up on my door Early 
feeling down? Here's your prescription for a daily dose of good news and positive vibes. Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Every afternoon, Rebecca highlights all the good things happening right here in the state you call home. Daily exposure to good things with Rebecca Turner may cause smiling, feelings of positivity, happiness, and even laughter. When you experience these symptoms, tell your friends to listen. Okay. Weekdays starting at 2 p.m. here on Super Talk Mississippi and now on Amazon Alexa devices. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me in a shot of Steve Azar, you are in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm with my brethren, Ira Dean. He is in, uh, outside of Nashville on his big farm with his big studio and just had a bunch of bacon. And, uh, and I'm envious of that. I'm envious of the third part. I like being in the Delta because I feel like I'm living on one big farm uh, and I'm glad to be back. But so, Ira, let's continue talking about Trick Pony. You have your first hit with Poor Me. Uh, you're on Curb. Was it Warner Brothers or Curb? No, we were on Warner Brothers first. Okay. okay. Warner Brothers, yeah. Okay, so you're in there. And then, and then you follow it up with uh, which one? Was uh, it? On a Night Like This. On a Night Like Number This. One. Right, right. Mm-hmm. That, and then, you know, we went from van and trailer to a bus. And, within, you know, yeah, you know that, how it is. Yeah. Steve, I mean, you, you get a hit and everything just takes off. And it Changes like, everything. We get right. the ground running. And then, um, you know, we went from playing clubs to going on the road with Brooks and Dunn doing arenas. And then going out with Kid Rock and doing arenas. And we followed that up with uh, Just What I Do, which got nominated for a Grammy. Right. Country performance. And then we won the ACM and the AMA. And then we followed that up. Then, then... So the label, the record label, has a regime change. You no, know, we followed up with On a Mission, yeah. our second album. And then the the label had a regime change, and they didn't know what the heck to do with us because country was going really pop at that time. But you guys, um, we see, you pop. guys cross. It didn't matter because you could do that. I mean, meaning what you guys were doing was so authentic, and it was just so. It was just you guys could play on stage with anybody. So as an artist. Dealing with my own troubles with Mercury being bought by Universal and all that at the time, and I was going through throat issues and all, so I was going through crazy record people as well. Uh, where, where, what were they thinking? Because it was working. Well, I, yeah, I, we thought it was working, and then um, you know, new people came in there that wanted to change kind of the musical direction. We tried; it just sounded contrived to me, and yeah. I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Now you're not that guy, and, um, right? No, we, we had rock and roll fans and, and country fans and diehard country fans. We were recording with, you know, Johnny Cash, Will and Willie, Christopher Thompson, and doing Farm Aid, and, you know, and we were happy. And then all of a sudden, they started picking the songs that didn't sound like us. I mean, they're very, very, very polished, and that's the, what we kind of wanted to rebel against. And then, you know, after, you know, you, you hit that uh, dead-end road where you, it's either you do what the label kind of wants you to do, or you don't. Are you, you know, are you kind of screwed? You screw the pooch. So it caused friction, you know, conflict, you know, conflict within a trio. It's tempers flare up, you know, you get frustrated and there's nobody to vent to but each other. And so, you know, it caused friction and we ended up moving to Curb Records and doing a record over there. And by then, we, I think the, the, the label kind of politics took its toll on the band. Yeah, it just eventually, it, you're right, right. You can only, it's it's funny. The one thing that was the most pure is the one getting the heck beat out of it, which is the three of you, how you came together, yeah. you wrote, and you had all this magic, and you got to deal with all these adversity. It's almost like, uh, it just, 
it, it makes no sense to a, to a listener right now is going like, okay, wait a minute. You know, like why would, why would anybody get in the way? But you deal with egos and you deal with the size of people's minds and, and, yeah. and that's just what it is. I mean, you just, you have to learn to, to walk around eggshells and the, it ends up causing, um, all sorts of habit within, within the organization that's actually, uh, what the, 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 the reason people are going to see you in the first place is not because yeah, of the business. Is. It yeah. gets you sick and guessing yourself, and right. you know the difference between a solo act and a, you know a band or two is all that second guessing and all that conflict. You know, it, then all of a sudden three people don't see eye to eye. You know, one's wanting to play the game, one doesn't want to. One's going, hey, let's just go a whole different direction. And it's like, what happened to the musical direction we were going on? And it's like a three-way marriage. Yeah, and it's it's like a three-way teeter-totter. Nobody's winning. You know, I've got a similar story. So it's so funny because it reminds me. I went through three different A and R people. After after Keith Stegall, Keith Stegall for people that don't know Keith, an amazing songwriter, artist, but he also produced Alan Jackson, and you know he just so many so many great records. But anyway, he's the guy that signed me, and uh, once he got let go or he left or whatever, the next thing you know, there's another guy, and I won him over, and then I won the next guy over, and next, I mean, I was dealing with this one head of a label that was that was sort of the devil to me, and and I, I, he didn't love me, and I didn't love him, and it's uh, it's well documented, but. Uh, the the bottom line is, uh, it just I'm sitting here trying to figure out. You you impress and you impress and you impress, and at the end of the day, I remember them going when I'd written everything or co-written everything, and and it was the only stuff that was working. And I remember them going like, "We well, you have to do other songs that you didn't write." So I I don't have a choice, so I do it, and then they the the promotion staff who decides they take it to radio, so they do all their research. And there were six songs that we cut. Three were mine and three were, you know, outside songs. And they chose all three of mine. And I'm going like, I mean, like, why are we wasted this money, you know, recording such yeah. stuff? Because it just wasn't believable. And that's when I made my decision right there. I said, I'm never going to do that again. You know, when we when we wrote I Don't Have to Be Me on Monday and recorded it, and when I wrote Waiting on Joe and all that, we wrote, we made that in a garage with nobody's help. And we it was honest. And so I, I was disappointed in myself for going and allowing myself to get into this situation. But the problem was this. You and I were both in the same situation. We had so many gigs, and we were out in the bus. We were on the road, and we were trying to, tr- just trying to keep going. We were tired, and you get tired, and... And you just sort of give in sometimes. And it's like, yeah. looking back, I'm like, why did I waste that time? You know, and then, of course, you get billed back for it. So I had to sign like $150,000, uh, you know, to the producer that was never in the room. Um, yeah. And, and, and he, they were copying exactly what I did. Oh, my own. You, you've lived that. And so we oh, eventually yeah. learned that, why are we not producing our own records? And here we are. But uh, And it's been a blessing for that. And it's been better. But uh, interesting that we have to go through that. Uh, down that road. Yeah, it's crazy how people have to screw the recipe or cause conflict in it and then realize that it, it was just a waste of energy and a waste of time. Yeah, uh, and, exactly. And the artist paid for it, unfortunately. Right, we're talking to the great Ira Dean. Ira, Ira let's talk about uh, your relationship with uh, Eddie and Troy and Montgomery Gentry, uh, songs you've written with them and form your hits and, um, and just sort of, uh, you know, so... I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this. I feel like there's only one. I've told you this. There's only one person that could fill that that place on stage with Eddie, and it would be you. 
uh, you were really good friends of Troy's uh, before he passed. And so, you know, obviously I'm I'm like hoping that you guys, that Montgomery Gentry continues with, uh, in, in honor of Troy, with you, with Dean in the name. So anyway, so just well, take me how you guys got to know each other, and you, you guys well, are really first, close. First, yeah, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, I don't, it's, it's, to me it's just kind of weird still to know, to think that Troy's gone. I just can't right. get over it. Yeah, just a freak helicopter. We've all been, you know, on our shows. We've all done our shows where somebody goes, hey, I got a biplane, or you want to go up in a hot air balloon? And whatever. we've done you know, it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I just did a biplane thing like three months before that happened. You know, and somebody said, hey, you want to go up in a helicopter ride? And so I said, yeah. And, and it just ended that way. And I, it's still, to me, I just don't understand it. It's right. Just, it's, me too. It's almost a, it's just a bad thing. But um, I first met Eddie and Troy. Before Trick Pony got signed, we opened up for him in 1999-ish, uh, somewhere around there at a bar called Super Toads in Boise, uh, not Boise, in uh, Iowa. And me and Eddie and Troy just became instant friends. And, of course, we had whiskey in common. And we all partied like rock stars back then. Uh, me and Troy first started out to be the tightest friends. Then, for some reason, like, me and Eddie started becoming tight friends. And so I was really close with both of them, but me and Eddie are like brothers. I mean, um, I talked to him yesterday. Uh, we talk at least once a week. But we were on the road together, and, you know, we shared many glasses of whiskey and many miles together. We did a lot of touring together. We finally got our record deal and went out there with them. So me, Tori, and Eddie were like the three amigos out there. Um, and, um, God, I, I just started writing a lot with Eddie for some reason. I mean, even though Eddie lived in Kentucky, he was always calling to check on me. He was always... Every time he came to town, I'm in town, right. brother. And so we wrote a lot of songs together, and I would be on the road with him all the time. If, if Trick Pony wasn't out, I was on Eddie's bus, right? It was Eddie and, and Troy. I don't know. I think I've had seven songs cut by those guys, two singles. A um, couple of singles them. are, because the people... Uh, I, I had um, One in Every Crowd, which is number one song with those yep. guys. I wrote that with Eddie. One in Every and, Crowd. Right. Yeah, I wrote that with Eddie and a guy named Tim Tribble. And then a thing, uh, one of his, their last singles before Eddie... Troy passed was I'll Keep the Kids. Oh, yeah. I'll keep and I wrote the kid. that with wow. Eddie and uh, Phil O'Donnell, Phil Billy. And, but I've had, uh, I had one of Troy's favorite songs, uh, and he really crushed it. He was a great singer. He called me up and uh, was fighting for the song that me and uh, David Lee Murphy and Tim Cooper wrote called Now You're Talking. And, and Troy sang it. And Troy sang the mess out of it. And he wanted that song to be a single so bad. And, uh, which, you know, now it takes a whole new meaning because. You know, oh, it's yeah. one of the few songs I had cut that Troy sang the whole thing. And yeah, when I got the phone call that he had passed, uh, and I talked to Eddie, and he was still in the hospital. It's still, it's, it's, I still got Troy's Les Paul here, you know. I, I borrowed a Les Paul off of him because I don't, of all the guitars, I got over 100 guitars. I don't own a Les Paul, so Troy let me use his. And I, it still hasn't gone back in the case. I, I try to play it every day. And wow. I love those guys. And, and I call my studio the house that Montgomery Gentry built because. They paid for my studio. Yeah. They paid my house off. They're good folks, and I love Eddie. And uh, I, and Eddie's out there doing shows on his own uh, with uh, under the Montgomery Gentry brand, and I'm just happy he's pushing forward and, and uh, keeping the name alive and keeping his memory alive. And, and uh, I wish Eddie nothing but the best, and and uh, he knows I love him, and, and I miss Troy. And I mean, I, what else I should say? But we'll all, we'll all have a... 
another drink in heaven one day, I guess. Yeah, we're right. talking to Ira Dean, an uh, incredible story for the life he has lived. Uh, we are on the downside of In a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. We'll be right back. Feeling down? Here's your prescription for a daily dose of good news and positive vibes. Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Every afternoon, Rebecca highlights all the good things happening right here in the state you call home. Daily exposure to good things with Rebecca Turner may cause smiling, feelings of positivity, happiness, and even laughter. When you experience these symptoms, tell your friends to listen. Okay. Weekdays starting at 2 p.m. here on Super Talk Mississippi and now on Amazon Alexa devices. Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Woke up, church bells ringing in my ear. To the smell of cheap perfume and last night's beer. I'm Steve Azar. We are in a Mississippi Minute, and I am with my brethren, Ira Dean. I call him my brethren because he really is. Uh, just dear friend. Uh, every time I get a chance to see him, uh, it's a big hug and and uh, just always a blessing. Ira, uh, tell me what's going on right now. Uh, you've been writing a whole lot, been recording a lot. I get I get to be the beneficiary of sometimes when you get really excited and you send me a text with, with a track you've cut. Uh, and recently you just sent me something uh, that was incredible. Uh, I'd have to go back. Um, the latest thing you sent, but tell me what's who you're writing with right now. Are you doing a lot of stuff on your own? Tell me about some projects. You're making a new record. What's going on? Uh, well, I do say I'll make a new record if I stop playing on other people's records. Uh, I've been busy um, finishing up Volume 2 Johnny Cash's thing. I've been busy doing um, movie soundtracks. Just finished up a 21 Robert Palmer song for a movie soundtrack. I had to re-record all this crazy stuff. I'm back in the studio, speaking of John Prine, I got to go in and play on uh, a John Prine thing coming up. So cool. Um, that John Carter's producing. I got called in to do that. I got called in to do, I mean, John Carter's always doing some eclectic, great tracks of some great artists. Um, uh, that's like, he only had a, a hit with Bonnie Tyler's It's a Heartache. And, uh, right, Bonnie it's Tyler's a heartache. Yeah, she's going to be like 70 years old now or something, but she still sings like she's 20 to 30 years old. I got called in to do her record. I just went to get that. And it was, it was, I was like, talk about life coming full circle. Right. Um, but uh, I'm writing right now for a new project. Uh, just, I signed a new writing deal and, and uh, been writing um, with all my artist friends again. Just got done writing with Chris Young. Uh, we hadn't lived together for 10 years. Um, I had uh, a song called Fear of Gasoline with him. Right. I love that song. Years ago. Um, but we just started writing together. So I've been writing a bunch, been in the studio producing, um, hopefully getting Edward McCain back in here that are working on uh, He's got a new record to finish, so finish that. So Ed, Edwin's, and, uh, been, Edwin's going going at it still. He's such a great singer and songwriter, man. Man, really cool. what a talent. Yeah, very what a talented. talent. Crazy voice. Crazy voice. Uh, crazy. I tell you what, talk about his acoustic playing. His timing is impeccable. Yeah, he is. He's great. It, really it, great. It's crazy. But um, that's about it, man. Just, I'm going in the studio today. Shelly Pearson, another Mississippi girl, coming out to the studio tonight. We're, today we're going to write. But right now it's like turkey season, so this is like my I'm, I plan my downtime uh, around turkey season, so I can hunt turkeys. I love it. And, I love uh, it. Yeah. And so that's about it. Just, just 
you know, when somebody calls, I said, you know, no answers to yes. So I've just been playing a lot, recording a lot. Eventually I'll get to another solo record. But, you know, just having fun. At this point, just having fun and, and just enjoying wherever this musical journey takes me. Well, all right, so so let's so if people can, can hear some of your former solo records, uh, how do they get it? Oh, I'm on all the YouTube and all, I mean, not YouTube, but the, um, iTunes and all the... All the streaming what, services all and all that. All the streaming, all that stuff. I redeem, you can go to that. And, um, yeah, and I still got all my socials. I redeem base uh, for uh, Instagram and then I redeem Facebook and all that stuff. I don't all that garbage. That's I redeem good garbage. I'm under construction right now, so that's about it. That's, that's my life. And I, love I love your life. I love your life. And uh, and we're gonna miss you this year at the Delta Soul. Uh, you've always been here, but I know you got work. You got you got and work always comes first. But uh, I, I would rather you be working, and you know that. And uh, I'm just uh, well. You know I love you. You know if if I had the days off, I'd be there because I have I have more fun down in Mississippi with you, and just I love Mississippi. I know I love I it. I love it. I love it too. That's why I moved on back and came on home. You have been inside a Mississippi Minute uh, with my dear, 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 dear pal Ira Dean. Uh, check him out online and his music, and you're gonna find out more hits. And you wanna you you? It's just amazing how many hits he's been involved in, uh, how hands on he is, and uh, you go turkey hunting and finish your bacon. And brother, I love you. I appreciate it. I'm Steve Azar. <laughs> you, you, you have been inside a Mississippi Minute. Later. All right. I'm Steve Azar, in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.